Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Welcome to SLP Coffee Talk, the podcast designed exclusively for speech-language pathologists who work with older students, grades 4 through 12. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, your SLP behind Speech Time Fun, the Speech Retreat Conference, and the SLP Elevate Membership. And I'm thrilled to bring you conversations, strategies, and insights that will give you the jolt of inspiration that you need. Whether you're tuning in during your morning commute, on a break in between sessions, or even during a well-deserved relaxation time, I am here for you each and every week. Let's do this, SLPs. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. I can't believe it is 2024. Bonkers. Oh my goodness. And I'm so excited to have the first of one of our March 2024 speech retreat speakers. Quinn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your journey to what you are doing now here today. So my name is Quinn Kelly. I'm originally from New Jersey. I am a speech language pathologist and AAC specialist in New York, New Jersey, and also Iowa. I work at a school for the deaf in New York, and I graduated from Mercy College in Dobbsbury, New York. So a lot of my work is mostly based in New York, but I do private practice in New Jersey, which I really love having kind of like the best of both worlds. But I primarily work with students who are deaf disabled who need access to AAC, which is really an amazing journey in helping guide these students and individuals who may need extra support in terms of communication. So it's been a weird journey to get here. I feel like this is such two niches within niches. I feel like people always are like, how does that even exist? Or I feel like it's two worlds that kind of collide. And it's been really just kind of really paving a way for myself and trying to figure things out and contacting people and networking. But I originally, AAC has been my background since I was really young in terms of my, I'm a guardian for my special needs sister. So communication was always a struggle for her. And then I interned at New York School for the Deaf in grad school. And my two passions kind of collided. And I've been working to become a bilingual ASL certified therapist. So my job currently is completely in American Sign Language as a speech language pathologist. So combining those two worlds and my knowledge of AEC and how I can support a very niche group of students. So 
I have to ask, what made you decide that route in graduate school? Oh, if my professor does listen to this, she'll be like, oh, this is why the saying is, if you are 10 minutes early, you are still late. My first semester in grad school, we had language disorder for children, and I was late to the class that we were picking our topic on for the remainder of the semester. So the object of the class is that you're going to become an expert in a topic. And I arrived late that day. And a fun fact about me is that I've been a volunteer EMT for 12 years in New Jersey. So I was really medical. I was, you know, I want to work with dysphagia. I don't want to work with kids, adults, give me scrubs and stethoscopes. Kids really weren't my thing. And I remember when I got there, I was like, I want cleft palates or dysphagia. And the only topic that was left was cochlear implants. And I remember being super lost and being like, where do I start? What do I begin? I don't didn't even know that really SLPs like worked in that scope or how we worked in that scope. And it really opened my eyes into reaching out to different alumni that we had, kind of networking that way and really like diving deep into the world of how we are working with students in terms of hearing and listening skills, as well as language, the American Sign Language, and it snowballed from there into internships, externships, fellowships. And I have truly enjoyed the journey in being a signing SLP. And it's just been something that I never really planned for. And I feel like that's the best part of all this is that I could have never like looked back and be like, oh, that's the type of professional I'm going to be. But my supervisors were very supportive and my professor really helped guide me and just being like, you got this, like follow your instincts, you have a gut for this. And so she was very supportive and kind of helping me figure all that out as well. I truly I, do believe everything happens for a reason. Like, yeah. Like you were meant to be late that day. Oh my goodness. Imagine you were on time. I know. I would have gotten what I wanted and maybe I would be working in a medical facility, but just it didn't happen that way. <laughs> I want to know, like, did signing end up becoming easy for you to pick up? Like I took two semesters of sign language in undergrad. Now, maybe it might have been different if the times were different and there was like iPhones and like I could have taken pictures and videos of what my instructor was doing, but like I was drawing the pictures in my notebook and that was just not, I'm not an artist and I, I couldn't learn it. So I'm very curious, like how you were able to pick it up. So I am a linguistics major and I double majored in cognitive science as well in undergrad. I went to Montclair State University. I double minored in speech language pathology slash audiology and I had a deaf minor. So the deaf minor included um, 101 to deaf education and ASL 1, 2, and 3 and deaf culture. So I had that exposure and I always was very interested in deaf culture, American Sign Language. I thought it was just such a fascinating world. And the first day that I sent into my externship, I kind of always equated it back to like I was seeking a passport into a different world. So commuting over the Tappan Zee Bridge every day from New Jersey to Westchester, it was you know, voice off, using my hands to communicate, being a visual learner and being visually receptive and understanding that cognitive load where like I'm not used to it. And I remember thinking I was so cool. Like I know the alphabet. I know my numbers and being like just kids like whipping by and signing. And I was like, uh, and I'll never forget one of my students my first day. He told me that like, so the sign for deaf school is this, this means that, or that's the sign for our school and also in the general term of our deaf school. So he then told me the wrong sign, this is alcohol, this is a deaf school. So it was 
he makes them up trying to like just screw with me a little bit so like oh yeah i didn't work here and they're like that's alcohol I'm like it's this so again like changing your fingers and not realizing it and it was just really fun just kind of working with older kids and younger kids and it was very hard and it was a lot of practice and early mornings and taking classes and i think opening up my mind to that i was a speech language pathologist in a bilingual position where like i'm opening my mind up to another language and I may know how to be a, this professional, but now I have to understand how to be this professional in another language. So that's, I feel like, a constant, you know, process. I'm constantly learning, constantly challenging myself and taking classes and courses and networking and trying to learn as much as I can and never being satisfied with my knowledge in the deaf community and deaf culture and American Sign Language, because we all learn and there's constantly things that I could be doing to improve my language level skills in order to better support my students. So it's it's never changing, but it's great. I love it. It's amazing. I, I love it that you're admitting to like being lifelong learners, not just like, I am here. I know everything. I got this. It's you're wanting to learn how to be the best for your clients. Like, that's amazing. When and how did you discover that AAC was an option for your students? I had the most amazing externship supervisor who ironically was an alumni from my graduate program. My graduate program, we checked her. She had recently just came from California back to New York. And it was kind of, again, perfect timing. She moved back because she had a son. She wanted to be close to her family. And she really took me under her wing and was just kind of, she is a multilingual professional. And so for her, she really helped me open up my eyes to that different perspectives and not just for me being like a, you know, just bilingual, trilingual, four languages, five languages. So that was very cool to, for her to kind of teach me about that. But she had a lot of AEC users and we would bounce ideas off each other. And it was just very collaborative. And she allowed me to kind of like explore that space with her and how kids had devices and why they wanted devices or like the advocacy process. And unfortunately, she left a year later. And I kind of took over the reins from her and kind of starting with the process that she had begun at the school. I just kept going with it and networking and finding people. Instagram has been an amazing resource and connecting with different organizations like Language First, which supports SLPs that work with deaf and hard of hearing students and just seeing how what do other people do? What is their perspective? Like, what are your qualifications? And being in a deaf school, unfortunately, where we have intake processes for students who possibly could be come and attend our programs, we do see a lot of mainstream schools provide AAC for kids who are deaf. They may not have teachers of the deaf, TODs, or interpreters, or adequate access to language models for their students. They provide them with devices. And as my time there was going on, we were seeing all these kids with devices. I'm like, there's no protocol. We just give devices like why not provide language first? Where's the foundation? Where's like the net to catch all these kids? It's It just seemed very overwhelming where we kept having to rewrite and figure it out. And AC kind of became like a quick fix. And it's like, that's not going to solve anything. So that's kind of where my journey started of like, how can we make this more standardized? How can we make this more of something that there is a process, there is a protocol, there are expectations that as a professional that when I am considering AAC for my deaf or hard of hearing student or adult, you know, that ASL is no longer fully accessible. The ASL is not 
something that can satisfy their language need? What can we do to provide additional supports? And that's kind of where that journey started. Yeah, you go a little deeper and like, what are some of the things that would qualify a student? So through my own knowledge and through two other SLPs, signing SLPs for ASL Fluent, we kind of created our own mini protocol or just like qualifications as to who we believe as professionals, also backing this up with research as to who we think are candidates for AEC. So some of those kids could have cognitive deficits that could be related to a syndrome or just overall global delays. So fine or gross motor skills. So I have some students who have a taxic CP. So their signing is not always going to be as accurate. So the articulation and sign, so we have articulation in spoken language. There are articulators also within ASL as well. So their articulation is going to be off a little bit. And sometimes when that articulation is off, just like how we have words that can sound the same that mean different, there are signs that can, you know, look kind of similar or using a certain context can change. So now what they're trying to convey, their messages are distorted. Also, just in general for sign language, it's a visual language. So eye contact is very important. So we have students who may have diagnoses that where eye contact may not always be something where they, you know, are going to be establishing contact and holding eye contact. And if eye contact isn't always as accessible for them, how can we work around that? Maybe they need something more static, something that's more consistent, as well as severe language disorders. So when I mean language disorders, I think this is kind of where it gets a little bit foggy is that I'm talking about kids with severe, severe language deprivation. So a student who I always like to refer back to is one that one of the first students I ever worked with AEC on arrived to our school when he was 10 from another country, had no language exposure, no language, let's say exposure, had no language foundation, had didn't know his name, didn't know where he's from, nothing. It was more home signs and gesturing. And he had been at the school for a couple of years. He had intensive services, ASL exposure, one-to-one and groups. And even then he still preferred to gesture, to draw. Language wasn't something he was drawn to. It was something that he relied so much on visuals. Like if he had to respond to something in class, he preferred to act it out. Even though he did know the, the vocabulary, the language naturally didn't. He wasn't thinking to use his hands, that he wasn't making that connection that my hands can create a language. And that's where AAC came in. And I never like to look at the AAC as a replacement for ASL. It's more of a support. So it's something that when there's, you know, something called communication autonomy, that we have the right to communicate how we want, when we want, where we want. And so for that student, like if there is a topic that he feels a little bit not as comfortable, maybe trying to sign about or putting himself out there that he can refer back to his device, or there's a communication breakdown in terms of not understanding a question that's being asked. And he has those visual supports to help make that message become clear. But I always like to say it's always having the language foundation with ASL and a support needed if they do fall under our criteria that we have made. Can you share some strategies for combining ASL with AAC? So I love to use chaining. So chaining is providing every single exposure that we can. So as an example, today I was working with a student in the home and one of my favorite words that I like to think about is on. So we can use on in so many different ways. Unfortunately, it's one of those really tricky multiple meaning words. So I can turn the light on. I can put something on a desk. I can put something on. It could, you know, there's many different signs based on the context and how I'm going to change the visual perspective for that person to create context. So for that student, yes, that's a core word, but now how am I going to apply that in the home? So, and how am I going to know that this picture, this symbol 
is going to also mean it no matter what this symbol is always going to mean all these different things. So that can kind of be a little bit confusing for these kids, especially when they don't have implicit language exposure. So kids who do have access to hearing, they will have that implicit language. They may not be paying attention or, you know, they may not be fully engaged in everything that's going on, but they will have implicit language. These kids need direct explicit language exposure because ASL, you know, is not always communicated with everyone who they're with. So we were working on the word on. So we we're putting something on the table. We were putting something on a shelf. We were putting and we were modeling on everywhere in the house. Then we put a shirt on. Then we took a shirt on and off. Then we turned the light on and off. Then we put something on the couch. Then so all these different things and how I signed it and how I modeled it. And we just took things on and off around the house. And then I would use sabotage and it kind of go that way. But chaining in general, just showing like, a picture, the sign, if the student has access to spoken language, you know, providing that model, even drawing or pictures. So like if maybe you're talking about a dog, you show 10 different types of dogs, their dogs, the neighbor dog, the, all these things mean the same and kind of connecting everything together. Another thing I like to do is sandwiching. So having modeling, whether it's on the device or in ASL, providing the opposites with like I model on the AAC device side and the model on the device or vice versa. And I never expect if my student is providing me with a response in ASL, when I might have posted question or comments on the device, I never make them repeat it for either way. It's kind of like, why am I asking you to repeat yourself? Like I always provide reinforcement with whatever option they did not say modality. So as an example, like if I said, oh, this is cool. And like, I may sign cool just to emphasize it or like, oh, what's that? And if they sign ball and I'm, you know, great, they didn't use the device. Or if I put ball and then I put color, what I code switch back and forth. So I never want them to think like there's only one way. They only have one choice. If I'm asking this way, you have to respond this way. Because again, going back to communication autonomy, I don't know all like their full background knowledge and what their understanding is of every single context. So sometimes it's just providing access to both and showing them that both are always an acceptable response. I always get so upset when I see people who are like, oh, find this. I'm like, find that. Why? Why do they need to find? Do I ask you to find a word in your brain? No. <laughs> so I like to think about it like we want to naturally model, model without expectation. So like whether we expect them to, you know, acknowledge or not, it's just that we're constantly modeling, providing that implicit language exposure that they don't always have of us just naturally communicating and modeling. So I love that. And I know you guys are just listening, but she's totally signing as she's talking. I love like, like not even like, I know I can't work her up, but I'm here. I am just talking with my hands and Quinn is like literally signing. I'm like, okay, (laughs) I love it. I'm sure everyone listening is probably wondering, do you have go-to devices systems that you tend to gravitate towards with this population? preferences how do you decide oh that's so tricky i feel like it's like choosing it's like sophie's choice like which one do you go for something that we are the three the two other um slps myself are currently working on this has been like a year-long project we're hopefully wrapping it up in december so by the time everything will be done we can have it out will be a feature matching chart so something that a professional can go through and we can navigate into like different things that you're looking for in an app so we have personally met with reps. We have 
had one-to-one meetings with different companies and just seeing how if they can add features or different flexibility in settings and things like that. It is very hard to just pick one. I think like I have different features in all of them and maybe like a personal slash professional goal is to create my own app. But I think every single one has like a different love slash hate relationship that I have with it. Like I love that, you know, for Avos, I can add a GIF for an image. I love that touch chat that when you're going to another category, it can pop up as a quick video to show like if I sign group or category that that can, you know, that can pop up really quick and that can pop back down. I love that Proloquo has the full extensive vocabulary for symbol sticks. So it has a really great ASO icon library, which is really great to be able to have that search bar and have those signs readily available for my kiddos. I love Seaboard is free and it's also desktop accessible as well as on your phone. So there's different things I think I like about all different ones. TD Snap has pre-made ASL boards. So like I think everyone has like something that we like and don't like. It's just figuring out what your students' needs are specifically and then kind of going from there. But I do have like certain ones that I like to gravitate towards, but definitely depends on the students' communication needs. I mean, I guess that's why there's so many of them, right? <laughs> I know. It's so hard. It's so hard. They po- they keep popping up too. Like, so like, did you see this one? I'm like, no, don't tell me anymore. No more. <laughs> like overwhelm of all the choices. Oh, I, I, it's, it's a lot. And there's so many out there. And I, when people are like, I don't know which one to choose from, like, I'm right there with you. I have post-it notes on here from a new AAC app that's come, that just came out. They contacted me and they're like, we would love your perspective on how we can make this more deaf friendly. And I was like, that's amazing. And I met with them last week and they were, you know, so wonderful and very receptive. And they're like, we have a new version coming out next year. They're like, we would love any thoughts you have. And I was like, this is a dream come true. So there are definitely companies, I think, that realize that there are different niches in the communication fields and how they can adapt their systems to that. It's so amazing. Can you share a little more about like core words and ASL? I know you talked about the on, but can you give like another example of how like you work on that with your students? Yeah, no, definitely. So core words in ASL is definitely a little bit tricky in terms of how I approach it versus other SLPs. And sometimes I think this is where like we are not making this up as we go, but we try and obviously follow as much of the AAC rules as we can, but then we're breaking them because some of these things don't exist in ASL. So as a great example, there are many core words that just they're not used in ASL, like the and they don't exist. I don't sign the dog. I just signed dog. You know I mean like it's like we're not using those fluff words like those don't exist or some of them they're used with within facial expressions or they're used within context and they kind of get wrapped up and they're not explicitly used unless it's in writing. So for some of my kids, like as an example, like on touch chat where there's lots of these fluffy words on like, you know, on certain settings. And I mean fluffy words and just in terms of words that are in English that are not in ASL. <laughs> I will hide them. Because unless I'm really working with my student on written goals, I'm not expecting my student to use an or the or a or some of these words like it just or is, you know, we're not doing that. For some of my other kids, I am, you know, we are specifically targeting it. But when I am using the device, something that I like to kind of start with is thinking about, am I using this device in terms of having it be ASL grammar setup or are we using this? Um, with written English in mind. So are we making our sentences in ASL grammar or are we making them with English grammar? 
And if we are in English grammar, are we following exactly or are we kind of just putting things up on uh, in the sentence board and seeing how it goes, but following the English grammar structure? So that's definitely something I try and keep in the back of my mind in terms of those core words. And that can be hard because I feel like there's no like true set of cool words out there. I feel like there's so many different lists and there's so many different, you know, which ones are more important, which ones to start with. And it can be really tricky. And I feel like that's a really common question I get asked. And I always like to say, start with the ones that are most prevalent in your life. Start with the ones that may not have so many multiple meanings in ASL, because unless you're really ready to expose the student to every possibility of where this word can exist, like you want to make sure that, again, that language change, they have an understanding of where this word can be used. So start out, you know, with small steps and then kind of go from there. Love it. Can you share a success story, like an aha moment or something when you like started using a device with the student and what happened? Oh, I had one student who I really wish I could have videotaped and really done a whole, like followed him with a camera from day one. He was one of my first intakes that I did as a clinical fellow. And he came from Guatemala. He had no language. He had never been in a school with a single mom. And she came here with the sole purpose of putting him in a school for the deaf, giving him access to education, to language. He was, he was a nine. So that was five years ago now. And it was really hard at first because there were a lot of fine motor challenges. So as an example, this is the handshake for B. So I consider this more of like a gross motor sign. So a lot of my students who do have access to the sign, you know, they're signing things like blue, brown, boy, they're able to access that where things that are where fingers are moving and there's more hand dexterity involved or finger dexterity. You know, it can be a little more complicated, but I consider it more of a gross motor hand shape. And he had a really hard time crossing um, his thumb across his palm. So his thumb was out all the time. Messages were kind of getting misinterpreted. He had very messy signing in terms of just accuracy and articulation. So he automatically went to AAC and we trialed a bunch of different apps for a year. We did a year of trialing. Mom only speaks Spanish. It was very important that I wanted this student to have advocacy and having his control over the device because I know that mom worked. Mom was trying her best to give her son the best life she could. And mom wasn't always available for me to kind of sit down and chat because mom was working during my school day. And I wanted the student to be able to navigate everything himself and figure things out himself. And whether like I sent home a video to mom and showed her what we're doing or whether I were working with our family coordinator slash interpreter and we were you know able to get mom on a call or like leave voice messages for her. So it was very important that what I was picking, the student had lots of independence. And he has gone from maybe like, it was one sign. Maybe we had about one sign that wasn't very accurate. And with signs, and I always like to have our occupational therapist or physical therapist on board, is that signs can also be multi-step. So some of my students, they have to be able to kind of follow a multi-step direction. So as an example, this is scared house, so a haunted house. So now we have, you know, hand shapes involved. We have movements involved. It's a two-part sign, scared house. So my student has to be able to recall that this is, there's movement. Which one comes first? Which one comes second? The area of which, you know, they're signing. Sometimes my kids are signing things up here or up here. You know, this is the sign for computer and they will use it on their head. So, I mean, it's making sure the parameters of where they're signing within their body, within their scope, they are able to contain a visual field for their communicator. 
and he was really having a hard time. And when we started trying different apps, I saw his face light up as he was making all these connections with these visuals that he understood and piecing these things together and emphasizing with sign. And he is someone who really will code switch. So sometimes when he, you know, really working on reading facial expressions of his communication partner, of where like really over-exaggerated facial expressions to help him understand what a communication breakdown is. You know, some of these kids, like they're so used to being, you know, nodding, nodding head, thumbs up, that's great. And not understanding that someone doesn't understand what you're talking about. And we slowly work through it really the most amazing special education teacher, absolute rock star. She was the best co-captain, the best co-pilot for this whole process, having a wonderful occupational therapist. And the student is a wonderful communicator. He very much advocates for his device. He brings it everywhere with him. He never goes anywhere without it. And he's very self-advocated for his device using ASL AAC and going back and forth. And something that really warms my heart is that when I see him waiting for the bus, he will take his device and he goes to the Spanish board. He uses protocol to go. And so he switches over because he knows I'm going home. Mom is using the Spanish version. And so he had that independence and understanding of going back and forth between the different page sets that like, this is for home, this is for school. The search bar for Proloco to go was really positive in terms of his literacy, because when he didn't understand things, he would remember the first couple letters, but he couldn't remember all the letters of a word. So it's been really great because it helps him as I've seen him search for more common words or, you know, different vocabularies that we're doing. He's increased his memory of which things he's trying to spell. Sometimes I see him type in two, uh, two letters or three letters. And it's just been really great because he's that kid who's going to come walk right up to you and just be like, hi. Like he's just right there communicating to you and just seeing the pride in himself when he understands things and when he's making those connections or sometimes when I'm like, oh, we've done a whole week on this activity. And then I see him make those connections at the end of the week. And I'm like, yes, like I just having that pride and he has so much pride in himself is the greatest joy. And it's why I do what I do. And sometimes when I'm really frustrated and I'm like, am I doing the right thing? You know, trying to keep the integrity of American Sign Language within the student. And this is their native language. This is their culture. And also trying to provide a tool of AAC to support their language when it's not fully accessible to them is just, has been amazing. And when you see things like that, when you're kind of just trying to put things together and you see him being successful, like I am doing something right. It is working. And that's just why I do what I do. It's so amazing. Like it's really been eye-opening to me because it's something I never would have thought of. I know a lot of people listening would never would have thought of using AAC for this purpose. They might have used it as like 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 the, the students you mentioned in the beginning, they'd all come in with a device, but that's probably not the best use of it. So thank you so much for sharing your tips, your wisdom, your expertise. And I can't wait to learn more from you in March because I know that like I learned so much from you right now in the last like 30 minutes. I can't imagine how much more I want to learn from you then. So let everyone, until then, first of all, head to speechretreat.com and sign up for your ticket, guys. Like, what are you waiting for? It's January 8th, 7th. You have like a week or two left to sign up and get your swag mailed to you. And trust me, that's like the best part of it. So like if you want a gift in the mail, like that comes with the ticket, Sign up now. What are you waiting for? It's in the show notes link, not to worry. But until then, Quinn, where can everyone learn more about you and everything you have to offer? Ah, well, I have two really great resources. Well, three really great resources. 
One is in how to and also a lesson plan on language first that is free. Also, our free screening tool is on their website as well. And also will be on there is our feature matching chart for different apps and features that it has about a variety of different AAC programs and how they could benefit your deaf or hard of hearing student. It's amazing. And definitely go check her out on Instagram, signing a, the signing SLP, right? And yeah, go say hi, go share one aha that you received here today. Share this episode out to any fellow SLPs that are listening that are wanting to learn more in this area, working with the deaf and hard of hearing. This is definitely something that many SLPs, can, including me, can learn more on this topic. So thank you so, so much. And I love it that you are really, truly also trying to embrace and understand the culture of the deaf community and not just push on something that they might not be receptive of. So I love that you are also being so cognizant of all that. So love it, love it, love it. Thank you so, so much, Gwen. I always end my episodes with a joke because jokes are just fun. They build rapport. There's a lot of language in there. And I like to use it as like, while students, I always would have a joke of the week where students waiting for this other students to come in. It's on the wall. We talk about it. Gives them something to like go into the hallway and like repeat and feel cool. So why does nobody talk to circles? I don't know because my guess would be they're never ending, but. I don't know. Uh, you're on the right track because there's no point. That's great. My nine-year-old says, those are corny dad jokes, mom, but guess what? Someone's going to laugh. And why not? They're the best. Corny dad jokes are the best. Huh? I think of the multiple meaning words. The point. It's, it's so much fun. Language is fun. So that's why we love what we do. But thank you so, so much, Gwen. Everyone go check her out on Instagram. Go check out all the free resources and links to everything that we're going to have in the show notes. Sign up for the speech retreat. What are you waiting for? Come on. It's already January. Can't wait to see Quinn presenting live in March. And until next week, everyone, stay out of trouble. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.